Welcome and thanks for listening to the Community Christian Church Podcast. To learn more about Community Christian Church, visit us online at cccsterling.org. Today's message comes from Pastor Tony Ria. Once again, good morning. Welcome to Community Christian Church. So good to have you with us on this very first Sunday in 2021. As Dave has already said, Happy New Year to you. January 3rd, 2021. Now, I don't have a crystal ball. And I'm not sure what's going to happen or what we're going to go through this next year. But I, for one, am very happy to not only close the book on 2020, but to lock it down and throw away the key. And that's coming from a guy who always sees the cup half full. I mean, I fight like crazy to stay on the positive side of the whole glass equation, and I rarely break protocol. But 2020, that was a challenging year. And for the majority of the year, probably 10 months or so, the glass was definitely half empty. And it took every ounce of strength we had just to keep our heads above water. Pun noted. But from a purely spiritual standpoint or viewpoint, I'm sure that God was at work doing something positive in 2020. My faith tells me that he did not go on sabbatical for the entire year. That he was up to something. And how many believe that God is still in control? He's on the throne. And it's going to take more than a merciless pandemic or an unhinged presidential election to oust or depose him. God has a plan, and his plan will always prevail. I hope you believe that, because that is the truth. God's plans cannot be stopped. And since the beginning of time, recorded all the way back in the very first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis, God has endured ongoing opposition. But he's not intimidated, and he's not backing down, and he's not coming off the throne. And there's no one who can take him off the throne. And you just missed a great opportunity to clap. We serve a big God. He's always in control. He always, have a plan. he always has a plan. Now, there's a passage of Scripture found in the book of Hebrews, and it's among uh, the very first verses of the Bible that I ever memorized. And now we're going back uh, over 40 years, maybe even closer to 45 years. And back then, after I uh, was saved, uh, just got saved, was a brand new Christian, the pastor of the church that I was attending, he was into scripture memorization. And so as new believers, Teresa and I tried to memorize a verse of scripture a day. We would look at the scripture, we would study, meditate, and we tried to memorize it, to get it inside of us, deep into our hearts. In fact, at one point, I think we memorized the entire book of Philippians. I wish I had the brain power to do that today. It just doesn't seem to be there. Anyway, the passage that I'm talking about here in Hebrews is Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. You probably know it very well. Therefore, 
Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders, and let us throw off the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Verse 2, let us fix our eyes on Jesus. On who? Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. The King James Version says, looking onto Jesus. Looking onto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. That word looking in the Greek is the word aphoreo. Let me say it again, aphoreo. It's a very unique word. It's a special word because it's only found in the entire Bible one time. That's it, just once. Right here in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2. And here's what it means. To behold, gaze, examine, and consider attentively. And then there's a second meaning to the word. To refuse to turn away or depart from. So the word looking in Hebrews 12.2 literally means to become single-minded and to compel yourself to look or gaze at just one thing or one person. Jesus. Looking on to Jesus. And aphoreo, looking, is exactly what we're going to be doing all month long. Proactively turning our attention away from every other distraction and enthusiastically focus and fix and become fanatics of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is our goal for January. Anybody with me on this? Okay. The whole month of January, Jesus is the center of the bullseye. He's the starting point and the finish line of January 2021. And friends, we desperately need this. We have to force ourselves and compel ourselves to fix our attention on him, to gaze and behold Jesus. There has been so much chaos, turmoil, and disorder on the racetrack of life in 2020 that it has been a long, long time since we have seen the finish line clearly. We have not focused our attention on the finish line. Remember, who's the finish line? Jesus. He's the author and the finisher of our faith. The crowds, the competitors, and all the conflicting viewpoints and opinions, they have contributed to the interference. And it is time. Friends, it is high time that we shift our focus back to where it belongs on the Lord. And so we're pulling out all the stops here in January, and we are going after Jesus right here, right now. That's our focus, that's our plan, that's our objective for this month. Jesus and only Jesus. And the plan is to take the whole month of January and to study the Gospels, to look at the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Because the four Gospels... They tell the story of Jesus. They point us to Jesus, and they paint a very unique portrait of his spiritual life and his ministry. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John do not tell us four different stories. They tell us one story, one narrative 
from four different perspectives. And the theme of the gospel can be summed up, the, the theme of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it can be summed up with just two words. Good news. Good news of the kingdom of God. And you'll remember that last month, uh, in December, for our Christmas service, we built the entire service around that theme. Good news. I mean, you know, good news is not just for Christmas time, not just for December. It happens in January, too. We can still have good news in January. Now, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are oftentimes referred to as the synoptic gospels. Say that. Synoptic gospels. Synoptic means the same summary or view together. And as such, the language in Matthew, Mark, and Luke is very similar. Oftentimes the same stories and the same teachings of Jesus are repeated in all three texts. And it, they're, they're given uh, many, much of the time with the exact same verbiage. I mean, they're told exactly or identical or close to it. But the Gospel of John now, it's different than the three synoptic Gospels. John includes selective and distinct material not found in any of the other three. And so the Gospel of John stands alone. And as announced just a few moments ago, this year, for our prayer and fasting time, we're going to come together as a church and we're going to study the Gospel of John. Uh, for the 21 days of prayer and fasting, beginning tomorrow and continuing for 21 days, we're going to look at the Gospel of John. There's 21 days to the fast, there's 21 chapters in the Gospel. So one chapter a day, 21. We're going to help you through that. You're going to be able to follow us online. We'll be giving you all the information starting tomorrow. All right, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that's our goal. We're going to be looking at the gospel because the gospels point us to Jesus, and that's what we're all about during this month. This very first month of a brand new year, we're going to focus our attention on Jesus. Are you with me? Yes. All right, let's start with Matthew. Matthew chapter 9, verses 9 and 10. After Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew. What was his name? Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Matthew got up and followed Jesus. And while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with Jesus and his disciples. Okay, that's good right there. This guy, Matthew, who was sitting at the receipt of custom or his little tax office, he had another name. He was identified in the scripture not only as Matthew, but also as Levi. Apparently, he liked the name Matthew better. And this Matthew, he becomes a disciple of Jesus, one of the chosen disciples of Jesus. And in addition to that, in addition to being one of the original 12 disciples, he writes a gospel. This Matthew, also known as Levi, he wrote one of the four gospels, probably one of the most important books of the entire New Testament. And keep in mind, before doing all that, he was a tax collector. And in Bible times, a, t a tax collector was about as low as you could go. 
Matthew was Jewish, but he worked for the Roman government and he collected taxes. And again, back then, tax collectors were despised and even hated. Not much has changed. In fact, tax collectors were looked upon with such disdain by the religious leaders, the scribes and the Pharisees, they were put in the same category as publicans and sinners. When you listed the worst kind of sinner that you could possibly think of, not just your average, ordinary, everyday sinner, but the worst kind of heathen possible, you would throw in the tax collectors. They were banned, they were shunned by the religious leaders, and they were excluded from any and all religious activity. And in Matthew chapter 9, the passage that we just read, one day, probably very early in the public ministry of Jesus, maybe his first month, Jesus happened to walk by the little tax office building that Matthew was sitting at. And when he saw Matthew sitting there, he said two words. That's it. Two words. Do you remember what those two words were? Follow me. So get the picture. Matthew's sitting there. He's been collecting taxes. He has a lot of money. Jesus sees him there counting all of his money. And he says to Matthew, follow me. But instead of laughing at this new little rabbi, you know, the latest one that was coming through the territory, instead of laughing at him, cussing him out, or telling him to go fly a kite, the unimaginable happens. Matthew gets up. He leaves his tax booth, office area. He completely walks away from it, and he follows after Jesus. And guess what? He never came back to it. He never returned to it. He became one of the top disciples of Jesus. He sold out to the gospel message that Jesus was teaching. He never went back to his old life. And tradition tells us that he eventually was martyred for his faith. So what happened here? How do you just get up and walk away from it all? How do you leave it all behind? How does that even happen? How can you be sitting doing the same thing over and over again and then all of a sudden you just decide to make changes? There's only one way, friend. Divine revelation. Can I get you to say that? One more time. Divine revelation. That's what happened to Matthew on that day. He had a spiritual or a divine revelation. The Holy Spirit of God opened up his blind eyes and he somehow was able to determine that this Jesus who was calling him was a very special man. And I firmly believe that on that occasion, not only did he have the discernment to see Jesus as the Messiah, the Savior of the world, but he caught a glimpse of Jesus as king. 
The Spirit of God allowed his eyes to be opened so that he identified in his own heart Jesus as a king. And now we're talking about the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And that's precisely how Jesus is identified or described in the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 19 and verse 16 says, On his robe and on his thigh, so not just one place but in two places, he has this name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. That's our Jesus. That's who he is. And it was Jesus who basically said during his teaching that no one can follow me. No one can truly believe in me or know who I am unless the Spirit draws him. And on that occasion, the Spirit of God was on the move. And he burst into that tax collector's office and Matthew didn't stand a chance. In fact, Matthew didn't know what hit him. You see, prior to Jesus walking by that day, Matthew was in charge of his own life. He was calling the shots, making all the decisions. He was the one who was responsible for everything that Matthew did. But then he caught a glimpse of Jesus, and he experienced him, the power and the authority of a king, and it all changed. And in that moment's time, Matthew melted in the king's presence and he was compelled to follow him. Amen. He could not make any other decision. He had to leave where he was at and listen to the voice of Jesus talking. It was by divine revelation. And how do I know that? Because 46 years ago, that's pretty much what happened to me. I was doing my own thing, going my own way calling the shots of my life when I caught a glimpse of the king and it was life-changing. I mean, I was radically saved and never the same again. And don't look now, but that's probably the same with all of you. That's your testimony. That you had a revelation of Jesus as Savior and Lord and King and you surrendered your life to him and you decided to follow him. So make no mistake, Matthew had some insight to Jesus being a king. Somehow he was able to receive this by divine revelation. And in the gospel that he wrote, the gospel of Matthew, that's how he presents Jesus to us. He showcases Jesus, the nature of Jesus, as a king. None of the other gospel writers do that. Only Matthew is the one who reveals to us that Jesus is king. And the main emphasis in the Gospel of Matthew is the kingdom of heaven, or the kingdom of God. He repeats that phrase, Matthew repeats that phrase 51 different times. On 51 occasions, Matthew's talking about the kingdom. That's twice as often as any of the other Gospel writers. And tell me again, who has a kingdom? A king. A king has a kingdom. You know, a farmer has a farm. A preacher has a church. A king has a kingdom. Now, look at Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Matthew 
writes his gospel according to the revelation that he received. And as I just mentioned a moment ago, they're sitting at that tax collector's booth doing the same thing that he had been doing for years, making a lot of money. He had a vision of Jesus as a king. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? That's how he starts his gospel off, with the story of the wise men. And they said, For we have seen his star in the east, and, if we, and we've come to worship him. These wise men, traditionally three of them, but not confirmed, they came a long way to see Jesus. The estimate is probably 9,000 miles across the desert on camelback for one reason and one reason only, to worship the king. And they said, we saw his star in the east. We saw a sign. We received revelation. And where is he that was born king of the Jews? And remember, when they finally met up with Jesus, when they, when they saw him, what was the first thing they did? They fell down in homage and they worshipped him and they presented him with kingly gifts. And again, Matthew is the only one of the four gospel writers to tell this story. You won't find it in any of the others because he's presenting Jesus as the king. Now, hit the fast forward or the scene change button to 33 years later. Matthew chapter 27, verses 35 through 37. When they had crucified him, when they crucified Jesus, they divided up his clothes by casting lots and sitting down. They kept watch over him there. Above his head, they placed the written charge against him. This is Jesus, the king of the Jews. This is Jesus the King. From Matthew's perspective, from the moment that he was born until the hour he died, from the cradle until the cross, from the start of his human life until the end of it, we have an image of Jesus as the King. Jesus is our King. This is how Matthew presents him to us. Now, why is this so significant and why am I making such a big deal about it? Why? Because as a king, Jesus has been assigned a kingdom. Remember I told you, kings have kingdoms. And his kingdom is what matters most. In fact, Jesus' kingdom is what determines God's eternal purpose and plan. Do you remember what Jesus said to Pilate? just a couple of moments before he was crucified, when Pilate asked him, are you really a king? Do you remember what Jesus said? My kingdom is not of this world. I want that to sink down inside of your minds and your hearts this morning. Jesus is our king. He has a kingdom. He's been assigned a kingdom. And he said, my kingdom is not of this world. We need to remember that. We need to acknowledge that there's more to this life that we're living than what we see. There's more than just the here and now. 
And yes, Jesus came to planet Earth to save us. We know that. We know the plan of salvation. It's outlined for us in the Bible. He went to the cross and he died there for the sins of the world. He became the final sacrifice. He shed his own blood. He paid the full price of our redemption. And the scripture records on the cross, he breathed his last breath and died. And he was buried. And three days later, he was raised to life again so that we too could experience resurrection, life, and power. Jesus did all that. He's God-made man. He's the Messiah. He's the Savior of the world, the Son of the living God. And this month, we're going to talk about all of these attributes. But what I need you to see today is that in addition to all of that, he's a king. Matthew presents him to us as a king from the beginning of his life until the end. That's all he talked about is how Jesus is king. And he came to teach us how to live in his kingdom. How to apply the principles of God so that we can get around this life. So that we can live an abundant and blessed Christian life today. Not after we die, but right here, right now. And we do that by focusing and setting our affections on things above and not allowing the matters of the earth to weigh us down or to overwhelm us. Now, here in America, we really don't understand a monarch. I've been talking about a king and, and a kingdom. We don't understand that. We don't know what it's like to come under the rule of one person like a king. But we do have a picture of that in the Bible, more specifically in the Old Testament. 1 Samuel chapter 8, verses 10 through 17 gives us an indication of what we could expect if we had a king over us. Now, I'm not going to read all of these verses. I'm going to skip along through some of them. But listen to this. Samuel paints a picture of what it would be like if we were subject to a king. Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking him for a king. The people wanted a king. He said, this is what the king who will reign over you will claim as his rights. This is what the king is going to do. He will take your sons and make them serve with his chariots and his horses. They will run in front of his chariots. Some he will assign to plow his ground and reap his harvest and still others to make weapons of war and miscellaneous equipment. He, the king, will take your daughters. He'll force your daughters to become his perfumers and his cooks and his bakers. He'll take the best of your fields, everything that you have, your vineyards and olive groves. He'll give them to his attendants, the best of all of your cattle and your donkeys. He will take for his own use. He will take a tenth of all your flocks, and you yourselves will become his slaves. Are you getting the picture here? The king takes whatever he wants, whatever he desires, whatever he wishes, whatever he chooses for to become his own. He will take that, and anything of value in any kingdom usually makes its way to the king's palace. That's pretty much the rule of law when kings and queens are in charge. They take and they even strip bare the wealth and the possessions of their subjects and their citizens. They make outrageous demands. 
They pass all kinds of edicts. And heaven help your soul when you decide that you are not going to comply with the mandate of the king. Listen to me, please. According to the gospel of Matthew, the kingdom of God is nothing like that. And the behavior, the actions, the attitude, and the mindset of our king, King Jesus, is totally contrary to what I just read out of the book of 1 Samuel. Jesus never took anything from us. Not one thing. As our king, all he did was serve us. He laid down his life and he gave us the very best he had to offer. Jesus did not use intimidation against us. He's not forceful or overbearing. He would never belittle us or even demean us. He just comes to every one of us. He repeats the same two words that he spoke to a broken tax collector a long time ago. Follow me. That's what you will hear the king say when you have a revelation of Jesus. He will say, follow me. With an appeal that includes a personal invitation for you to sit at the king's table and dine there. And I'm talking about never missing a meal. When the king says, follow me, he has a plan for you, and it's a good plan. And he wants to bless you with good things. In the kingdom of God, we're treated as royalty and we're regarded as dignitaries. And that's exactly what Peter said in 1 Peter 2.9. This is the characterization of a believer. But you are a chosen generation or a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession so that you may declare the praise of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. You see, when the king says to you, when the king says to me, follow me, it's not because he wants something. It's because he wants to bless you with something. He wants to give you something. He says, I want to be your king, but there's a reason why. It's so that you can learn how to be participators in my kingdom. Now, just before we make our way to the communion table, I want to give you one final image of Jesus. And this is a significant one. Remember, that's our goal for this month, to fix and focus our attention on the Lord Jesus Christ. We want to get that image in our minds so that it'll help us move away from everything else that's trying to get our attention. The image I want you to see, this final image, is found in Matthew chapter 21. Again, the Gospel of Matthew. Verses 1 through 5. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Zechariah, Say to daughter Zion or to the people of God, see your king comes. 
Your king comes to you gentle or humble and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Behold your king comes or see your king comes. But you know, this image that we have right here that we just read together, it, it doesn't look much like a king. Even though the scripture says, uh, prophetically speaking, a, pro- a prophecy that was fulfilled, behold your king comes. Jesus doesn't look much like a king here because he's riding a donkey. Kings don't ride donkeys, they ride horses. Powerful horses, beautiful horses. The best horse money can buy. And when they're in procession, it's always with a lot of fanfare and pomp and circumstance. Huge celebrations when kings ride in procession. Not Jesus. It's not the picture we have. Not our king. He's humble. Totally surrendered to God. That's the picture I want you to see. That's what I'm asking the Holy Spirit to inscribe upon our hearts today. A humble, gentle king. Because not only is humility one of the greatest attributes in the kingdom of God, it's really the only way that we can effectively respond to Jesus' invitation to follow him. We have to humble ourselves. We have to be willing to surrender our will to him. And that's not easy. In fact, on a scale of 1 to 10, I would say that that's probably the most ambitious prayer that we could ever bring before the Lord. It's the same prayer that Jesus prayed in the garden. Not my will, but your will be done. We have strong wills. We have wills that are hard to break. They're even hard to bend. Only humility will help us. This attribute that Jesus shows us, the one that he models for us, this attribute of gentleness and humility, this is how we approach our king. Now, usually we describe little kids this way, as strong-willed people. But according, according to the scriptures, or according to the experts, pardon me, according to the experts, strong-willed kids are not bad kids. If you have one, you know that. They're spirited and courageous oftentimes. They want to learn things for themselves rather than accept what others have to say. Strong-willed kids, they test the limits over and over again, and they always have to be right. A strong-willed person desperately desires to be in charge of most every aspect of their lives. Sound familiar? It should, as I just described most of us. When Jesus said to Matthew, follow me, he was basically saying, I want to be your king. I want to be your king. With Jesus as our king, it's not a negative. It's a positive. Because we don't have to take life on our shoulders all by ourselves. We don't have to be weighed down with heavy burdens, thinking there's no place for us to go. We don't have to do life by ourselves. Because we have a king who not only cares about us, but continues to meet every need that we have. Let's bow our heads and prepare for communion.
Father, in these moments, I'm asking you to do something very unique and very special. I pray, Lord, that we would have a picture, that we would have an image, and even a revelation of you as you really are. That we would see you as King Jesus. We thank you that you're our Lord and Savior. Lord, we're so grateful. We appreciate so much the fact that you went to the cross and you died there for our sins. We know you paid a huge price for our redemption. And we thank you to know you as our Savior. But here's what I'm asking today, Lord. By the power of the Holy Spirit, the same way it happened for Matthew, that we would see Jesus as he really is, the king of our lives. And we wouldn't be afraid of that relationship. It wouldn't be something that we run from, but it would be something that we embrace. Because we know that the king is only out to help us, not to hurt us, not to take from us, not to intimidate, control, or manipulate us, but just to be available to meet our needs. I pray, Lord, in these closing moments as we gather around the communion table, that you would reveal yourself to us in that way. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. So it's a brand new year, 2021. What are we, three days into the new year? And I would be willing to bet that some of us are already stressed out. Three days into the new year, already feeling the pressure of what this year may hold. Some of you might even be in the middle of a carryover storm from last year, not knowing how things are gonna turn out, wondering if you're even gonna make it. And then I'll bet there's a whole lot of you here, listening, watching, who are all uptight about the future. What's going to happen in the next couple of weeks or this month? What, how is this all going to play out? I mean, there's so many things that are still unclear. And you're listening to a point, a, a different opinions. You're, you're following different voices. And daily and even multiple times during the day, you ride the roller coaster ride of emotions up and down. Three days in to the new year. Could I give you some advice? It's free. Could I take you by the hand and lead you to the throne of God this morning? Because there's someone seated on that throne. His name is Jesus. Not just Jesus, King Jesus. King of kings and Lord of lords. And no one is going to take him off that throne. Could I get you to focus your attention upon him? To set your affections on him rather than everything else that's taking place in our world? Because he's the kind of king that's different than a normal king. He's not going to take from you. He's not going to strip you down to nothing and remove from you all the things that you think you need. He knows what we need. He has knowledge of our needs. And so he is going to be the kind of king that is going to help us 
and to help meet our needs. And he's speaking two words to every single one of us. No matter where you are on the salvation continuum, he's saying the same two words prophetically to every single believer. Same thing he said to Matthew. Follow me. Follow me. Keep your eyes on me. Get close behind me because I want to lead you. That's the prophetic word for the church starting right now is to follow after Jesus, is to see him as he really is, to get up from the place of our own control, the same place that we've been sitting without success for months and maybe even years, and just say, Lord, I'm going with you. I'm trusting you. I have my eyes on you, and I'm not taking them off of you. Scripture says it was on the night Jesus was betrayed that he took bread. And after giving thanks, he broke the bread, gave it to his disciples and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then when supper was ended, he took the cup. Again, he gave thanks. He passed the cup to his disciples. He said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. It's how I'm making the covenant, not someone else's blood. It's my own blood. Do this in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you declare the Lord's death till he comes. The king didn't come to be served. He came to die. He went to the cross and died there for our redemption and for our help. Could I get you to just bow your heads for a moment? I'm wondering if there might be anyone here in the sanctuary, anyone watching or listening to me who would say, you know, it's time for me to leave my place of control. I've been fighting it, but I know I have to surrender my life to God. And maybe you've never done this before. Maybe you've never given your heart fully to the Lord. And you want to do that right now, first Sunday of 2021. You'll never forget it. Or maybe you're here, maybe you're listening or watching, and you're a believer. You've been saved for years and years, and you've been following hard after the Lord, but Right now, there's a situation in your life that you need God to intervene. And so you're going to renew your commitment to follow after him, to keep your eyes on him. Whatever the case, if that's you, either scenario that I describe, wanting to surrender your life or surrendering a life situation, could I just get you to hold up your hand for a moment? Leave it up. Thank you. Just leave it up for a second. I want to pray for you. A lot of hands. Father, the beginning of this new year, we thank you for your faithfulness. The hardest thing for us to do as people of God, strong-willed people, is to be held by you. We want to do the holding, Lord. So many people depending on us, so many people that are looking for us to be strong, Sometimes it's just so hard to relinquish control and to acknowledge you as our king. But we're going to do that, Lord. We're going to respond to the call that you're putting out to every single one of us to follow you, to follow hard after you. That's our commitment, Lord. 
First Sunday of the new year, we're following hard after the living God. We're pursuing you with passion. And I thank you, Lord, for those who raised their hand to say, I need to surrender my life to God. If you're online, just click that button, that salvation button there. It's the best decision you'll ever make in your life. Lord, for those that are facing hardships and life situations that are not easy to handle, I pray, Lord God, that this would be the year that you prove just how faithful you really are. For every person who's struggling emotionally, those who are alone, those who are afraid, we thank you for the song that we sang earlier, that the name of Jesus causes fear to tremble. We don't have to tremble, Lord. We belong to the King. Those with medical issues, Lord, physical problems, relational difficulties, Lord, those who are having a struggle financially, we look to you, we look to the King because we know that you are more than enough. You supply all of our needs according to your glorious riches in Christ Jesus. And we make a fresh commitment, Lord, to follow you. Thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for the blood you shed and the covenant you made. Let's take the bread and the cup together. Thanks again for listening to the Community Christian Church Podcast. For more messages like this and other resources, visit us online at cccsterling.org.